Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Mike, thank you for playing. And uh, make sure that you let uh, Pastor Mike know next week that you uh, miss them, as I certainly do uh, when they're away. Turn to 1 Peter chapter number 4. It's been, it's been multiple months since we've been in our study of Between Two Worlds, uh, living in this present world as we look to the next. We, of course, had, uh, we had our Christmas messages that were uh, specifically uh, designed around uh, Christmas, and then uh, we even had a few uh, guest speakers uh, around the, around the m- m- beginning of the year. And then, of course, uh, I, got the, I got COVID, and so I was out for a few weeks, and I appreciate everyone that was willing to uh, chip in there. And then, of course, we had our revival uh, with John Van Gelderen, and then Pastor Mike was last week. So I'm itching to get back into First uh, Peter. We're going to be in uh, chapter number four, and uh, we're just a few. Uh, we're ending chapter four today, and then we'll go into chapter five, and then we're going to just keep on going right into Second uh, Peter, and I'm excited about uh, the direction of, of that book as well. For those of you that maybe haven't been a part of this series, we have been just going kind of verse by verse through this book, and we've learned that uh, the, the group of people that Peter is writing to are these early followers right after Christ's death and, and ascension, so this early, early church age. And uh, they're under massive persecution. They have been basically kicked out of their own lands, and they're just kind of living as... Uh, just kind of aliens, not in a sense of like we think of extraterrestrial, but just where they're, where, where they're not home. And there's all kinds of dynamics that go with that. And so Peter has been addressing that in multiple different ways. And this morning's text is one that I believe will hopefully speak to our hearts. It, of course, is a challenging text in that it's not easy to hear But we're going to begin reading in verse number 12. I will preach all the way down through verse 19, but I won't read all of that here at the beginning. Beloved, so he's writing to believers here. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. In other words, don't be be taken off guard by the fiery trial, which is to try you, test you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. And as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part is he evil spoken of, but on your part is he glorified. And I, I will preach down through the rest of it. I've entitled our time here this morning, I don't make a big deal about titles, but This one, I want you to let it sink in. The new normal. The new normal. That's kind of a buzzword right now, right? We started in 2020 with COVID and we're thinking, what's the the new normal going to look like? That's not what I'm talking about when it comes to, you know, medical things like that. The new normal as a believer, this side of eternity, we're living in this world looking to the next. We're, We're between these worlds, what is the new normal? Well, I guess it is always dangerous to speak for somebody else, but I imagine that you, in many ways, are a lot like me. See, if I could design my my normal week, 
You know, like kind of one of those weeks that you could repeat over and over and again and again and again. It would be a week with zero suffering. Actually, I'd probably even go to the level of saying no difficulty whatsoever. And I'd like to repeat that week after week after week after week. Nothing would be in my way. No one would disagree with me. Everyone would applaud my presence. Everyone would be so glad that I was there. My ideas would absolutely rule the day. I would have a constant smile on my face, a body that was completely healthy, a belly that was full, and a mind that was at ease. By some of the smiles here in the room, I think maybe you would also like that type of life. I think perhaps this passage that I'm about to work through with you, it's as radical as Christianity gets. I think it may be um, one of the most important summaries of what God is doing through this letter to these early believers from from the pen of Peter. God has called us to a new normal, a normal that doesn't focus on the kind of comfort and ease and pleasure that our lives would certainly have if we were on the throne, if we were sovereign, if we were the ones that was articulating what our week was going to look like, there would be ease and pleasure and comfort. But a life is so but 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 a life that is so attracted and directed by the other world, the next world, the glory of God and his kingdom, being being captivated by the stunning beauty of God, by the amazing reality of grace, that we would be willing to actually walk towards difficulty. That we would begin to look at suffering in our life through a different lens. Listen, because those things do not actually change the glory of God. Our suffering doesn't change that glory. Our our difficulties don't change the beauty of God's kingdom and his work. As I ponder that, I think of how far I am from that and how I needed the rescue of the grace of God even in my life this week as I was penning this message and and working on it to deliver it to you. God, I I fall so, so short in this and would you rescue me once again of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text is really kind of a textbook, if you'll allow me to say, on what to think and how to respond in moments of difficulty. How to think and to respond in moments of suffering. And really, in this text, we're given six very important directives on how we are to think through that. Now, when you hear the word six, you think, man, am I going to miss the Super Bowl? I promise you, you won't miss the Super Bowl, okay? We're not going to be here all day, just maybe for a couple hours. You know, like half an hour each directive. We good with that? Like, man, where did I come? I'm just kidding. We won't be here that long. This passage is deep. This passage opens up doors to the the expansiveness of the radical difference that a Christian worldview, that a biblical worldview brings into life. And this text really opens that up for us. And in that way, I want to encourage you as many of your pastors, I'm your pastor, many of you, and those of you that are guests, thank you. So delighted to be able to spend a Sunday with you. 
But let this passage be something that you study. Let it be something that maybe you go back to or you stick it on your refrigerator or a mirror and it's like, Ryan, this text, when it talks about something, yes. We all are not, we're not immune to it. And so by God's grace, I, I, I want us to kind of just mine from the beauty of this text. Let's look at the first directive. Are we ready? First directive is this. When suffering comes your way, do not be surprised. When suffering, difficulty, hardships, when it comes your way, do not be surprised. Man, I wish I was studying this at the turn of the year when COVID hit my family. But don't be surprised. Look at verse number 12. Beloved, again, he's writing to the believer. He's writing to the Christian, someone that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Beloved, think it not strange or don't be surprised concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. So the words surprised and strange, they, they depict something that is out of the ordinary. Now, I don't say what I'm about to say in any way to, to be harsh or to, or to hurt our feelings here this morning. But if you are a believer, and when difficulty and suffering come into your life, and you are shocked by it, if it, if, if it just kind of rocks you to the core, if you're, if you're surprised by it, then in those moments, we're not living with a biblical Christian worldview. We're not understanding what our new normal is. Somehow, we have formed some utopia of what it's supposed to be, and hence, we get smacked up, we get shocked. Man, January 3rd for me, that was me. Right? When I just so the first and the second, and then uh, even on the second here, I wasn't preaching, but I was very cautious because I kind of had a little tickle in the throat. Man, come Monday, boom, there came COVID. And the De La Reyes says, Good to see you all. I've missed you as well. Glad that you all are healthy from that as well. But we're not living in that moment in a biblical worldview if we are being shocked. So he says, Think it not strange or don't be surprised concerning the fiery trial. If you greet that as something weird or this, whether it's suffering mundane or something that alters your entire life. If we think it out of the ordinary, we're not thinking in a biblical way. I want to make this statement here. I believe that our response to suffering, the degree to which it seems weird or to the degree that it seems strange to us, the degree to which it causes us to wonder what in the world God is doing, or to the degree that it causes us to think, God, are you even there, where we're doubting him, depicts to us how much we need to grow in our allegiance and understanding of what God is actually doing now. The new normal. What is, what is God actually doing right now? I want you to think about this with me for a moment. If what God is working on in your temporal, your right here, right now, if he's working on comfort, if he's working on ease, his plan's a massive failure. And do you think God's a failure? If his goal 
is for you right now to be comfortable, for there to be ease of your life, for there to nothing go your way because now we are a child of the king, I like that song, then, then his plan's massive failure. So what, what, which must mean God is working on something else. So we must begin to ask ourselves, the question is, why is suffering presented in Peter's perspective as a new normal? Why is this just now going to be a part of your life? It's so normal that you're not surprised by it. You're so normal that it's not, you're not just caught off guard by this testing, this, this trial, this fiery trial that's coming into your life. So let me give you three answers to that question of what is, what is the, why does Peter present this as the new normal? Well, the first reason is, is because God has chosen for you to remain in a fallen world. If you go back to the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray that all of you have that time. If you don't, let me encourage you to make today that day. But I can go back to August of 1992 when I was a teenager and I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know what God could have done at that moment? Taken me home to glory. Could have right then at that moment. But you know what he's chosen to do? He's chosen to leave me here for multiple decades now living in a fallen world. And listen to me, that's not an accident. That is not God messing up the schedule. No, this is part of his schedule. God means for his children, once they've been born again by his grace, to live in the middle of the harsh realities of life in this fallen world. We've talked about this so much in this first letter of Peter's. Really, Scripture kind of as a whole, you can see, is the, that the world is a terribly broken place and how you will, you're not going to escape that brokenness, but instead we're supposed to live as lights for God and for his use while we're here living on this earth. And so why does Peter kind of depict suffering as just this new normal, to not be blown off guard by it? Why? Because you were left to, be, to, to live here on this broken world. Let me give you a second reason. Because you will suffer because of your identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told the disciples some really, really hard words when he was getting ready to go to the cross and to die. He's like, the world hates you. If the world hates you, you've got to understand, they hated me first. And so the more we radically live like Jesus Christ, especially in a secular culture, and it's extremely secular here, the more you radically live for Jesus Christ, the more you will suffer, Paul tells us. So the reason why Peter is trying to instruct these new believers that they've been, they've been ripped from, from their homes and they're, they're in areas of hostility, and he's like, that shouldn't surprise you. You're going to suffer. You're, you're going to face difficulties. It's the new normal because God kept you here. And the more you live for Christ actually can be very hard at times. If you stand for Christ, if you, if you step out of the cultural norms that say, I rule my life, I am sufficient, I am autonomous, it's my will, it's my way. If you step outside of that and you live for Jesus Christ, you're going to be totally different. They're going to look at you and be like, man, you are weird. 
Why? Because it's countercultural. It goes against the way we are supposed to live. And so some of you, you're already experiencing this. You're experiencing this at school or your workplaces. Some of you might have to write some form of a paper and you're worried about the kind of the, the, the secular nature of it and how's it going to be received if you're honest as you write into that paper or you're on a job front and there's this dog-eat-dog dog world where you got to lie and you got to cheat. Why? Because you got to climb up the ladder, but you've chosen you're not going to be that way. Some of you face rejection in your extended family. Why? Because now you're connected to Jesus Christ. Because now you're choosing to live for Christ. Now you're choosing to use your voice for Jesus Christ. And the family members, I don't like this. And so you're made fun of. You know what this is like. You all are experiencing it in certain ways. So God's left you here. The more you live for Christ, don't be taken off guard that you're going to suffer for that. Let me give you a third reason. And we don't like this one. This one goes all the way back to chapter one. Because God uses difficulty and God uses suffering to promote the continuousness of his work of grace. Did you hear that? His work of grace. Oh, often it's uncomfortable grace in your life. Look at the very words of chapter two. Or 4, verse 12 again. Beloved, think it not strange. Don't be surprised concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Or, can I put it this way? To test you. So the words fiery trial and the words test, they immediately, if you've been in the series, and I, I, you don't always have to remember, I get that, but it goes back to chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, where Peter talked about the fact that God uses the difficulties of our life to refine us. So when you see the word there, try, or you see the word test, maybe that's more of the, the word that we would use today in our vernacular. Don't think of an exam that you pass or fail. No, it's a different, it's, it's more of a mining, it's more of a refining type of test. It's testing the metals of your life. It's refining you. It's making you stronger. It's making you more beautiful. If you recall, we talked about how metal in its ore state is just kind of ugly and it's just, and so what do they do? They apply heat to it and it becomes far more beautiful. The metal that you now know, the silver and all that that you wear is beautiful. It's not in its ore, O-R-E, state. Hope I spelled that right. Yikes. Uh, but it's not in that state. It's not rough and, and nasty and full of rocks. And then it becomes a lot stronger once the heat is applied. So God brings difficulty into your life. It's his grace to make you more beautiful. Oh, we're not talking about how we look on the outside, but just more beautiful as a Christian. You're living more like Christ and to strengthen you. So here's what all this means. And we must buy into it. God has chosen for us to suffer while on this earth. And hear me, my dear, dear, dear friends. Suffering is not a sign of his unfaithfulness and his unattentiveness. It's actually the exact opposite. It's a part of God's beautiful, grand, redemptive 
plan for your life. See, what's so awesome is, and we learned so much about this in our revival with John Van Gelderen, is that in Christ, instantly, we are justified and we are in Christ, beautiful, his righteousness is placed on us. But there's a thing that we call sanctification, right? And that is what God, he's preparing us to spend all of eternity with us. So God is going to refine you. God is going to beautify you. God is, going to, God is going to strengthen you. And it is his grace as he's working in your life. This is relentless. This is a transforming love. And so Peter comes along and he says, first off, this, this new normal, he says, don't be surprised. Don't be taken off guard when you're smacked with hardship and suffering and things that go on in your life. Let me give you the second directive. We'll, we'll move quicker because you were getting nervous. I know the wings are getting cold, right? Second directive. Oh, do you ever not like a verse? You okay with that, that I said that? I'm a pastor and there's a verse I don't like. There's actually quite a few of them, but, and I don't like the second word in verse number 13. Second directive is determine to rejoice. Look at verse number 13, but, so he says, don't be taken off guard when you're tested, when you're tried, when you're bringing suffering and difficulty. Instead, rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Rejoice? What? Peter, you have got to be off your rocker. Not only am I not supposed to be shocked by this, I'm supposed to actually rejoice over this. We all know, I think if we're honest, sometimes minor difficulties just come into our life. And man, we're like cursing the whole world. Anybody feel like that? So please don't make me have the only one hand raised. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate that. It's like it could be super small. And then all of a sudden just... For sure. Some of us can have a flat tire and question the very existence of God. Let alone face a massive hardship so we ought to ask ourselves the question what is the experience that God is giving me reason to rejoice in how in the world can I rejoice in something like this he's not saying that you should rejoice because pain is something to be happy about I love pain no you don't no one does those people that say that eh, maybe they do but I don't think so so if it's not, it's not wrong to feel the pain of mockery and the pain of rejection. So listen, if you're a loving person, you're going to want to have relationships that go well. You're, you're, you, when you face rejection, that's going to be painful. Listen, Peter's not teaching here stoicism. We're not supposed to have this like this sick fantasy of, you know, pain is fun. No, that's not what Peter's teaching. Peter is saying there is a God behind all of this who's doing something that is worth rejoicing. And if in this moment all you get is the pain part, if all you're seeing is the pain part, we're going to have a hard time rejoicing. 
But if we, in the, in the grace of God, if our eyes, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, if our eyes of understanding can be enlightened and we can see, no, 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 God, you're bigger than this. You're working out something that is beautiful in my life. What are you seeking to do in my life? But rejoice in so much as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, Christ physically, his physical suffering on earth was followed by his glory. He suffered and then he was glorified. And so kind of as a down payment for us, when we suffer, we will be glorified on the other side between two worlds. We don't always see it right now. But we've got to have eyes of understanding. Peter's saying, this is the new normal. If we think the new normal is everything is hunky-dory because we trust that Christ is our Savior, that's not. The new normal is you've, you've been left on a fallen, broken, hardship-filled world. And the more you live for Christ, the more you speak up for Christ, the more you live out his life in you, it might get harder. And God uses it for your benefit. That's the, that's the fuller picture here. That's how we can rejoice. My friends, I know it's hard to imagine this. I know it's hard for us to think beyond here and the now, to think beyond the struggle that we're going through. But if we'll do so, we can, we can look beyond the current pain when we get to glory or even sometime even later in this life, we'll look back and God will show us what he was doing in our life. The weight of that glory will overwhelm every moment of pain. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. She got, God shows his glory through us, and that should motivate us. Let me give you the third directive. Moving along, third directive. Keep your suffering pure. Keep your suffering pure. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a business. Now I'm personally convinced that Peter's kind of showing his, his kind of like pastoral heart here. I really believe it. He understands how our hearts work and that Moments of suffering are often moments of spiritual vulnerability. They are the moments where we're tempted to wonder if it's worth it to obey. Have you ever wondered if it's worth it to live right? Satan comes along and Satan will say, man, you're doing this, this, and this, and this, and this is the heap that you get. You know what I'm talking about. That's exactly what Satan does. And he comes along, and what will happen is, is we begin to, I've talked about this before, we begin to kind of trouble our trouble. We're already going through it, but then we begin to make it worse. Your moment of suffering is made worse because we get angry. And in your anger, you begin to mistreat the ones that God wants to use to help you, to bring a kind of a, a, a healing balm to your life, to bring support and to bring comfort. Or your suffering tempts you to doubt God. And by the way, when you begin to doubt, you never go to the person that you doubt. Think about that humanly. Just think about it for a moment. Take it out of the, take it out of the spiritual realm. If you begin humanly to begin to doubt somebody, you're not going to go to that person when you need them. 
No, because, because you've begun to doubt them. And so talk about troubling your trouble. And so Peter comes along and he talks about when you suffer, suffer, suffer purely. Make sure that you're not, that you're not going into a, a sinful matter here. Now before we, before we write off this verse, Paul's calling us to a high standard. Peter, excuse me. It's holiness. It is God-honoring life no matter what I'm experiencing. Difficulty doesn't change the call. Difficulty doesn't change the rules of the game. Difficulty doesn't allow me to say, well, you know, I've had a bad day, so I can come home and I can say whatever I want to my wife. I can say whatever I want to my family. I've had a bad day. I've earned it. No. Difficulty doesn't, doesn't change that. And sometimes we look at a verse like this and we think, oh, man, I would never do any of those things. Murder? Steal? But you've got to remember, those things start in the heart long before they ever reach out to the hand. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Jesus taught that the Pharisees, <laughs> it was like, listen, you might not have ever murdered, but if you have evil thoughts in your heart, you hate someone, you might as well have killed them already. And so stuff starts in the heart before it ever reaches out to the hand. And the reason why I say that is because it's so easy to write off this verse. So you think about it. Sometimes in a moment of difficulty, I have all kinds of nasty hatred thoughts in my mind. Mm. Murder. Thievery. Have you ever looked at somebody else's life and thought, man, I wish I had it that good? Oh, okay. So maybe I'm not actually doing it, but I'm thinking it. And it's in my heart. Man, if I just had what they had, my life would be, and then you fill in the blank. Maybe you even shopped the catalog of other people's lives looking for the one that you'd like to step into? Are you committed to a life that pleases your Savior no matter what? Does your obedience weaken in moments of difficulty? When you're going through a trial, do you find it harder to read the Word? Do you find it harder to pray? Do you wonder if it's worth coming to a worship service or like, you know what, I don't even want to sing today. Worship unto my God. So Peter is saying, the new normal is, you're going to be experiencing this, so suffer purely, not, don't add to it. Don't add to it. Let me give you the fourth directive. Do not give way to shame. Don't give way to shame. We doing okay this morning? All right? I'm good. Hopefully you're good. Look at verse number 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. He's this big picture worldview. Peter is very zealous to remind the people that he is ministering to where they get their identity, where they get their meaning and purpose, where they get their inner self-well-being. He's reminding them that the only stable place to ever get that from is from the Lord. Now we are the children of God, John tells us. I love that verse. And that indeed we are. We are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm not out shopping for any form of identity. I have been freed from that by the grace of God. My heart is at rest. I know who I am. 
I know who he is. I know my acceptance. Jesus said in John 16, Though all men forsake me, yet I am not alone, for my heavenly Father is with me. There's the gospel. That is how the gospel transforms the way that you think about your relationships. Oh, you should want good relationships with people. But you, you want to build good community, right? And understanding and love. But you must not put your identity in the hands of anyone else. So when you are suffering, and maybe you're suffering at the hands of somebody else, you know what Peter says? Don't be ashamed of that. Just because you're suffering, don't be ashamed of that. You're glorified in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And don't you, don't you lower that head for living for God. Don't. Even if it brings shame, and even if it brings reproach onto your life, Peter is saying, lift that head up. Don't be ashamed as you suffer for, remember the second thing, living for Christ. We're here in a fallen world. We're going to suffer. Also, we're going to suffer because we live for Christ. And so Peter says, you lift that head up. Let him glorify God on this behalf. The suffering actually reinforces my identity. I've taken on his name. All the effects, respect, or the affection, respect, and praise that human beings could give me could not compete with the deep joy I have in being included in the family of Christ. Fifth directive, consider God's judgment. Look at verse 17, consider his judgment. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Yikes, what a question. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? See, the word used in this passage for judgment is not, hear me, it's not the word for condemnation. When it talks about kind of judgment's got to happen at the, at, at the house of God, it's kind of a word that's closer to maybe a word that we would use as discipline or disciplining. A holy God is not satisfied for uncleanness to continue to be in the hearts of his people. So the sanctification work must start at the church, is what Peter's saying. Must start amongst believers. That's where the sanctification begins to work. But you look at the end of chapter, or end of verse 17, and into 18, we begin to ask ourselves the question, well, what's going to be the outcome for those that do not believe the gospel? Well, the answer is, they're in big trouble. Big trouble. See, we're saved by grace. We're scarcely saved. We're saved by grace. It's nothing that we did. It's holy what Jesus Christ did. We're saved by that grace. And so someone that's rejecting that grace, it's, it's not going to be good. There's going to be a judgment that's coming. Hard times, listen, hard times are, are part of God's mercy. <laughs> I hope you hear me correctly. Hard times are part of God's mercy in the children of God. Why? Because what it does is it causes us to loosen our hands from the grips of the things of this world so we can better live for the glory of God. But the lost person, they cling to every single thing they've got. And it's going to amount to nothing but judgment. So listen, we've got we've to consider that. And so before we get 
outraged at a lost person that harms us, think of where that lost soul is going to go. It, literally, it changes the way that we live. It doesn't mean that if things are happening unto us that we don't seek legal counsel and we don't, we, we don't go to the law. I'm not saying that. We don't just throw things under the carpet. Please do not read into that. However, as a believer, we are able to immediately, in our heart at least, release that person from what has been done unto us. Why? Because we have another world that we're looking towards. Because God's going to judge that person. And if they don't believe the gospel, other scriptures teach us they're going to spend eternity in a place called hell. Where we, we're scarcely saved. It's the grace of God in our life. And so these trials, they, they're a gift to the believer as it makes us look to the next world. But to the lost, let's remember judgment. Let me give you the final directive here. The final directive is rest as you work. Rest as you work. I think some of us, for sure, me at definite times, we have rest and work as opposites. Rest and work as opposites. If you're working, then you're clearly not resting. If you're resting, you're clearly not working. That's kind of often what we do. We're going to we're going we're gonna to divide that. But you know what Peter does? Peter puts them together. He puts the two together. Look at verse number 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So when he says wherefore, you kind of got to kind of go back, right? So he's been, he's been going through this narrative of what the new normal looks like of, of this suffering. And as you're suffering, you're going to suffer maybe for the cause of Christ. Make sure you're not adding to that by sinning. Make sure you're suffering purely, he goes on. And there's judgment. There's discipline. There's coming. So wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God not because of our sins, but maybe because of something that has happened unto us, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. See, your creator is your savior. The one who holds the worlds together holds you by his grace. The one who owns all things, who created all things, the power to supply you everything that you need you're going through it, you can call unto that one. Wow. Everything you need. Notice, if you would, for a moment, the, the nervousness, the, the anxiety that often comes into your mind as you go through times of suffering. Are we going to make it through? Is it going to take too much of a toll? How will this turn out? What's going what's to happen next? And Peter comes along and he says, in this moment, in the very Moment. It's important that you do not forget that your hope is not in figuring it all out somehow. That's not where your hope is. Your hope isn't trying to learn, okay, well, why is this happening in my life? Why, God, did you allow this? No, you find your rest not in your understanding. You find your rest in one thing. 
and that is your creator, savior, who holds all things in his hands, who rules all things by his power, who in his promise to supply everything that you need. Peter says, because you can rest that way, get busy. That's what he says. Look at it again. According to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls, resting in him. It's all, he's got it. To him in well-doing, you go forward. You rest in what you have in Christ so that you then are infused to go live your life. Don't waste your time trying to figure out things that you're not going to figure out. Don't waste your time with paralyzing anxiety because you know that you can rest in your Savior who rules everything. You can now give yourself to the good work that he's called you to do. So people who are suffering God's way, they're busy. Busyness for the kingdom of God is a sign that you get it right. God's grace is freeing you from anxiety. God's grace is freeing you from doubt and from the sin of despair. And God's grace is propelling you to the best kind of busyness ever. And that is the kingdom of God work. But you rest in him. You don't just go out there and just get busy. You rest first. And as you rest in him, empower to go. Now, there's only one thing that can ever transform an individual from a text like this that can live for the kingdom of God. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. Man, we can't boot, you know, lace up our bootstraps anymore. There's, there's nothing that we can do humanly. This is something that a divine grace in Christ comes and visits you and you receive that what Christ did for you on the cross and it empowers you to live your life. And what this passage should do this morning, really one more time <laughs> throughout this book, is to drive you to the foot of the cross, not in desperation, but in hope. In humble hope that admits you're not there yet, kind of between, we're not there yet, but God is going to be faithful to get us there. This is the new normal, guys. Struggle, hardships, living for God. Some it's going to be evil being done unto us. This is, the, this is the new normal. But we've been graced with the power and the ability to still do well. That's what verse 19 is saying. Why? Because our Creator... <laughs> Talk about the power to create. He's our savior. He holds us. Rest in that. Move through this fallen world for the glory and honor of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed.